0: Grab a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians. We're walking through what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Perhaps you've gone to the Amish market or you have been around uh, Mennonites and you see the ladies with their little prayer cap on their head. Or maybe you've been part of a church where the women were not allowed to cut their hair and had to grow it very long and put it up. And uh, Paul's going to address that issue today in uh, 1 Corinthians as we, uh, as we get to it. And really, um, I have to be honest, this is one of those difficult uh, passages in Scripture because we have to weed out the cultural of the time versus the timeless. What was it that Paul was specifically addressing to the people of his day and what are the principles that we need to apply to our lives today? And so it helps, as we walk through Corinthians, to understand that Paul is using this yes-but logic at this point. Yes, I can do this, but I probably shouldn't do this. It's the difference between could and should. And so he's addressing these food offered to idols, and he said, In your Christian freedom, you are not to give offense to uh, other believers, to non-believers, to various cultural factions. By your freedom, you are to curb your freedom. It's not that you could do it, but, but should you really do it? And so we get to this place in First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to kind of unpack it, and we're going to pull out some principles for us uh, living in t- uh, 2020 uh, United States. I praise you for remembering me in everything, and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, So also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Clear as mud, right? (laughs) Let's pray and go home. No, let's walk through it. Let's walk through it. In uh, verse 2, Paul, first of all, states his apostolic authority once again. He says, I praise you for remembering me in everything. Now, next week, he says, there are some things I don't have some praise for you. But this first part of chapter 11, he has some praise for them. And so he says, I praise you for remembering the traditions. Now, when Paul talks about traditions, what he is talking about is the uh, teaching he got from Jesus and the the teaching that the church at large has. And so it's not that he's talking about traditions of men. Versus God's commandments. He's talking. "These These are good things. I'm passing on to you the teaching. I'm passing on to you the content of the faith. And so we have to be careful not to twist Paul's words into something more desirable or our interpretation cannot echo current popular, social, or political views. We have to go back. What did the Corinthians understand as Paul was writing to them? And so Paul is arguing for this something about our createdness, something about who we are. We are embodied beings. God created us with a body and a spirit together. That is who we are. That's the That's the Hebrew worldview is that we are whole when both body and spirit are together. What is death? Death is a separation of the body from the spirit is unnatural. So our being who we are physically is something that is valuable and something that is is good. It's something has how God has created us. And so Paul is alluding to some of this in this section. We are created in God's image. And so God's imprint is on things that we do. We talked a couple of weeks ago, there's a tension between what, what is culture and, and what is of God. And, and the simple definition of culture is stuff we make it up. We make up art and music and all kinds of traditions and those kinds of things. But even in creating those things of ourselves, there is still a godly imprint in that. We talked about that in our Core 52 groups this week, that our ability to love and to uh, want beauty is, is, a, is a reflection of God's image in us. And so uh, culture is not inherently good or bad, but it is the ways that we express how God has created us. The only caveat is, Paul says, if there are practices that are rooted in uh, in pagan places that do not honor the one true God, we are not free to participate in those because we are then participating in something that is not God-honoring or comes from the truth of the one creator of the universe. And so but otherwise Paul in this section now starts to go back and address those other cultural things. It's either true that we are honoring God or it is false as Paul has argued before about paganism. We are in the midst of a of a cultural revolution if you if you have uh, have missed it. We are trying to redefine what it means to be human. What it means to be male And what it means to be female. We are in this place now where God has created us. And he's created us good. He's created us uh, in, in these ways. And in our culture, we have this shift now that we are trying to define it ourselves. But Paul is concerned in this passage about how we participate in worship. So Paul isn't addressing the culture at large, how you should dress when you go to the supermarket or what you should wear when you're out working in your yard. What he's dressing is how we approach God in this corporate worship time, in this place where we gather together. He's going to pick up on that at the end of chapter 11 as well next week. But in the time, in Roman culture, we have to go back to the time when Paul was writing. Remember, Corinth was a metropolitan city. It had, it had commerce, and it had arts, and it had all the things that we see today in metropolitan places. And in that place, both men and women normally covered their heads with the hood from their cloaks, the Roman toga, for example, when they entered pagan temples and they performed sacred rites. Roman women also wore their hoods over their heads as legal protection against inappropriate advances from men when they went outside of their homes the conventional practice of women wearing their hoods when they spoke in christian worship settings in corinth is what paul is attempting to reinforce in this discussion so paul looks around and he says here's what's happening in corinth people pray they have their their robes and their togas and they go into these pagan temples and they put their hoods up as they pray to these pagan gods but for the woman there was a special meaning that meant if she had her hood up that she belonged to someone she was married and so therefore she was off limits And so it was a legal statement as she went out into the culture, as she went out into the marketplace. And so Paul, in this passage, is directing, what do we do as a community of believers as we come together to worship God? Back in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not, what does he say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so Paul in Romans says, what we do with our bodies, what? It matters. He says we are to worship God, what? Offer your bodies. We tend to want to just offer our minds and our hearts and say, as long as my thinking is correct. But Paul says, no, no, no. As embodied creatures, what you do with your body also has spiritual implications. You are communicating something. You are saying something about who you are. So one of the main principles that that Paul is talking about is this principle number one. Write this down. is to honor God with your body. He just said that in Romans 12. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a few chapters ago, he says, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with what? With your bodies, who who you are and what you do with the physical part of you either honors God or dishonors God. The Corinthians lived in a shame and honor society, in a shame and honor culture, we don't have so much of that in Western cultures, but in Eastern cultures, it's very much about shame and honor. And so that's where they are in Corinth, is what they did with who they were either brought honor or it brought shame to the person they were worshiping the, or the family that they were a part of. On your notes, uh, in Genesis 127, we read this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Paul uses three arguments try to try to what persuade us because once again he uses that phrase he says judge for yourselves and so paul's going to lay this out there and say with the with the evidence i'm giving you and with the reasons that i'm giving you i want you to judge for yourselves what is reasonable now for you as you participate in this body of christ and so the first argument that he uses is our created design have you did you notice that through 1st corinthians 11 he talks over and over and over. In fact, he goes back to the creation narrative in Genesis that God created what? Created mankind. I know that the word mankind is not politically correct, but the definition is humanity. It means men and women. So God created us. And so Paul is, in one of his arguments, is he's saying that God, in our createdness, This is the design that I am appealing to. He says, that's why he talks about God and Christ and man and woman. Listen, your body tells a divine story. Who you are as a man and who you are as a woman, your gender and your ethnicity and who you are created tells a divine story. Part of the divine story is that God is a God of variety. Even identical twins are not totally identical, that God loves variety, but also our bodies tell a divine story in who we are as man and woman, who we are as male and female. And so uh, Paul uses these paired relationships. He says there's God and Christ, there's Christ and there's man and there's man and there's woman. And so what Paul is doing is with the cultural practices of covering heads with togas or covering heads with hoods, Paul is now going to use our physical heads as an illustration of this created design. Listen, men and women are equal before Christ and God, but they're different. They just are. And that's how God has created us. And in our culture, we want to we want to make everyone the same, but God says, No, I created you. I divinely created you in who you are as a unique individual. And so Paul is using that created design as an argument for why he's talking about this whole issue about hair and head coverings. He says that the man what is is toward God and the woman is toward man, and he talks about this head. Now, the head is not about um, authority. All it is, is that you can be the head of the class, but you're still not in charge of the class. It's the teacher. So all head is, is is position. It's, It's who came first, the chicken or the egg? Who came first, Adam or Eve? Adam came first, and then Eve. And that's all Paul's saying. As, as head of the class, right, as the, as the first, it doesn't mean that it's more important or, or better. It just means what? It means first. And so what happens is Paul is talking about, in this context of createdness, male and female, a man not ought to cover his head. He should pray without his head covered. Why? Because he's created in the image of God Woman then prays with her head covered, because why? She's created, what, in the, glorifies God. Paul doesn't say that woman was created in the image of God, only that she glorifies, or in the image of man, only that she glorifies in man. The liturgical head covering, we can't forget this concept from Corinth, was a devotional head covering. And so what happened is when I went into a pagan temple, as a man, I would put the veil over my head because I was giving honor to the pagan gods in the temple. Paul says, You as a Christian, do not do that because you are are, are practicing the cultural practice of giving honor to pagan gods. So if a non believer sees you, believing man, in a christian assembly with your head covered who are they going to think that you're there to worship the pagan god so paul says men because you're created in the image of god you prophesy or pray with your head uncovered i don't care what you wear when you go to the supermarket (laughs) i don't care what you wear when you're home i don't care what you wear when you're at the job but when you are in a setting where the one true god of the universe is to be honored and glorified men I i want you to not have that on your heads. Why? Because in the cultural uh, melu of Corinth, pagans would see you and they would say, oh, look at that, worshiping Aphrodite or Zeus in the middle of a a Christian assembly. And so Paul's reasoning is, is to go back to this created design. Paul accentuates the positive In fact, when it says the man is the glory of God and the woman is the glory of man, all that means is, is that man, what? God glories in the man and man is to glory in his wife. It's an elevation of status and it's an elevation of all the things that the culture at the time. Listen. We can't put our cultural perspectives on what Paul was saying. But at the same time, some of those cultural perspectives have twisted what he said. And here's some of the cultural perspectives. uh, Paul hates women. He just wants to keep them subservient. He's actually saying the very opposite. He's saying that, that God glories in man because he created man. And so man then should glory in his wife. Ladies, what would happen if your husband would glory in you? Would your life be different? Absolutely. Some of you are like, yeah, I wish he would. I wish he would. Paul talks in Ephesians about the relationship between Christ and the church. And he says, husbands, what? Love your wives if you feel like it. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up. And because men are lazy slobs sometimes and don't want to sacrifice their time and sacrifice their emotion and sacrifice for their wives, women have been put in very difficult circumstances through the years just because men are not living up to their God given design. It's not Paul's fault, it's sinful man's fault. And so, as always, then we react against that, and we say, because man was, uh, was not doing what he was doing, now me as a woman, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to be doing either. And the whole thing has gotten so out of whack. And so what Paul is saying is men should respond with actions that display and honor and respect God. When you are in this assembly, that is what you do. And the woman, then, should also have honor toward what? Her husband, because that shows honor towards God. Paul is not talking about every man and every woman. Marriage brings along some responsibilities. So if you are a single woman, you are not responsible to every man. You are only responsible to a husband. And that's where we've gotten the train off the tracks. We said every woman is is subservient to every man. Paul never says that. He says, if you enter into the covenant of marriage. And, and if you can't handle this, don't get married. But if you can enter into that covenant, here's what you do. You honor one another. You respect one another. You sacrifice for one another. That's all Paul's saying. He's not using it as a club to say, every because of the created order, every woman is subservient to every man. He is talking specifically in the context of marriage. And so when you come into worship, the things that you do either bring honor to God or they don't honor God. Married couples sitting on the front row and they're punching and hitting each other in worship service. What are you going to do? They're not honoring God, right? Cussing each other out, right? No, we know that. We're laughing. Why? Because we know that's not a God-honoring thing. That's all Paul's saying. From the created design is that there is a way to conduct yourself and a way to have yourself? When God saw the loneliness of man, what did He do? He created woman. Listen, inside of Adam was a woman, and she came from really his side. The word isn't rib; it's side. What is, that? What is side? Right out the side. In Jesus, there is a woman, and that woman is the church. And so as, as Adam, the first Adam, as Jesus, the second Adam, both what came forth a woman as the church, as the bride of Christ. We are, we are the woman now that has been brought forth from Jesus. So what do we do? We give honor to our husband, who is Jesus, as the church of Jesus Christ. The Stoic author Epictetus appeals to the fact that God has given men and women different amounts of hair to distinguish the two sexes from each other. There is a cultural understanding at the time that the way culture then lived out this imprint of God, you could tell because of this created design who was a man and who was a woman. That's all Paul's saying. In this cultural situation, men don't do certain things and women don't do certain things because we just want to be able to tell who you're honoring and who you are respecting. There are things that uh, men are not supposed to do and there are things that women are not supposed to do. Only rebels and fanatics defy God's created order. Christianity and Christians obey it. So, God, so Paul appeals to this created order. So the, the whole thing in 1 Corinthians 11, that's why he's talking about, he says, first of all, we are created in a certain way. But now Paul does appeal to cultural norms. He says, because of our createdness, and this is the second argument that he uses, honor and shame especially from the perspective of what others think in society was a very powerful force in Corinth in the Mediterranean world. So a Christian would be doing activities in the name of Christ. So me as a believer, people knew I was a believer, and my actions then would what? Would either honor or dishonor who? Jesus. First of all, it's the created order. So either I dishonor or honor my createdness, But then, he says, but culturally, the people just know that you're either honoring or dishonoring Jesus by how you are acting. How you adorn yourself communicates something. It's it's more than clothes, isn't it? And We we focus so much on the outward. And so Paul could be telling, he could just be telling the women at Corinth, Listen, just, I I want you to appear as as women who are married don't let your hair flow freely, often like, what, the unmarried or the, those suspected of adultery? Or in those circumstances, the head that was shaven was often from a convicted adulteress, or perhaps of, uh, you know, someone who had been caught in a sin. And so Paul's just saying, look, I want, I want how you look to honor the God who created you. And so Paul remarks that if women are going to send ambiguous sing- signals about who they are, I don't want to honor my husband. I don't want to honor Jesus. I'm going to do whatever I want. Paul just says, go ahead and just shave your hair off. If you you don't want to do the thing that's going to bring honor, then just go ahead and send the wrong signal because how we act in culture also sends a signal. Listen, we did not arrive on the scene and everything was just new. I know today's Groundhog Day. And if you've seen the movie Groundhog Day, what happens? He gets up the next day and it's the same day over and over and over again. When we are born, we come on the scene. It's not Groundhog Day. It's not like new every day. We come on the scene, and there are things that are already here. Not everything's good, and not everything's bad, but we have to understand where we are. And if I want to go against that, and I want to go against what is perceived, then people are going to look at me as, 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 as communicating the, the wrong signal. If I decide today that I want to start calling oranges bananas, I'm just going to do it because I don't like how culture has assigned that little, or, that little round orangey thing the name orange. I'm going to call it a banana. This is my groundhog day. And now I go out into culture and I ask somebody for a banana and they hand me the long yellow thing and I get mad because it didn't hand me an orange. Whose fault is that? It's mine because I'm trying to redefine. I'm trying to redo something that culture just says, you know what? Dude, that's an orange. What are you doing? But Paul's going deeper. He says, listen, there's something about our createdness, about who we are, and that, that culture doesn't get everything right. And yes, there are things that need to be changed. But if it communicates something and I'm communicating the wrong thing, Paul says you might want to think twice about that. And that's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 11. Sir William Ramsay explains this. In Oriental lands, the veil is the power of honor and the dignity of women. With the veil on her head, she can go anywhere in security and profound respect. You see, if we read Paul as a male chauvinist, and we're like, there goes that Paul. Men don't have to wear anything, and women have to put something on their head. He hates women. That's not what Paul's saying. In that culture, the veil was a sign of dignity. She could go anywhere in society, and she has respect. She is not not really seen, and therefore not subject to male familiarities and crudities. In other words, she was not supposed to be flirted with. She realized that she belonged to something else. And so under her veil, she is alone. The rest of the people are non-existent to her as she is to them. She is supreme in the crowd, but without the veil, the woman is a thing of naught. And anybody may insult her. A woman's authority and dignity have vanished with the head covering veil that she discards. And so what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, according to the cultural norms at the time of Corinth, that the woman with the veil on her head, it was a sign of dignity and respect. That not only is she respecting that she's married, but also the people around her will respect her as well and leave her alone. And so again, instead of Paul adding a burden, what he's saying, he's elevating women. He says, we want you to be, have respect. And we want you to, to live in, in a way and worship in, in a way. And so he just reverts back to the what? The culturally appropriate signs of marital fidelity. I know people have different uh, um, uh, opinions on, on wedding rings, for, say, uh, for example. But if you have a wedding ring on and you're out in public, what does that communicate? That you're married, right? Why do guys who want to cheat go to the bar and take their wedding ring off when they're away on business and they go down to the hotel bar? What do they do? They take their ring off and they put it in their pocket. Why? Because it's sending a signal. Like it or not. You may think wedding rings are stupid. That's not the point. But the cultural perception is if you have a ring on, you are not available, That's all Paul's saying. And so he says, ladies, it's this cultural norm in your worship. Listen, in your worship, I want people to view you as you really are, a person of dignity and a person of of respect. And and so a woman was not created. Here's what Paul's saying. A woman was not created to be a thing or an object or to be exploited. That veil, what did that veil do? It gave her dignity. And it said, "I, I am off limits to you, flirtatious men i'm i'm here and i have dignity and that's all paul's saying so he put, he appeals to these he's these to these cultural norms he says that liturgical head coverings should differ according to gender that's all he's saying because culture recognizes and especially in corinth that that culture under, the understood that that shame or dishonor was communicated by how you conducted herself and so he said, if you pray or prophesy, again, it's only in this corporate setting it, with, with uh, your head uncovered, it's like your hair should be shaved off. He says, I want you to avoid disgraceful demeanor. Now, shaving is different than styling. We have to remember, we are, we are what, 2,000 years removed, and so hair styles are different today than they were back then. But we know that there are sometimes, when we understand, shaving is, not, is different than than styling, right? And so what Paul is saying, shaving in the ancient world was a sign of shame. It was disgrace. We understand that in our modern culture as well. In World War II, when the Germans occupied France, there were uh, the collaborators, women that collaborated with the Nazis, and they would... Uh, Tell where Jews were hiding and they would help in all kinds of ways. And after the war, what happened to these women? They were taken out in the public and their heads were shaved. It was a sign of shame, and it was a sign of disgrace for what they had done. And so we understand a little bit about what Paul is saying. And so any woman in this civilized world of Paul's day to have her head shaved was a sign of disgrace. And so Paul, any Roman or Greek would have been ashamed to have her head shaved. And so Paul says this, since that's the case, again, cultural norms, just let your hair grow. Because ladies... I don't want anybody to think shamefully of you. I want people to treat you with the dignity and the respect and the honor. And so Paul's advocating, again, in these assembly, that there are clear cultural markers that what? distinguish male and female. Head coverings send virtually no signals today. It's just not where we live. There are extremely conservative churches who uh, still insist that uh, women keep their hair long and put them up in buns and wear scarves and hairnets and all those kinds of things when you go into church. But that's not our cultural situation today. In fact, people in those kinds of places should probably take that thing off because it's communicating the totally wrong message in our culture today. It's saying that I am kind of out of touch with, with the world. Again, remember the non-believing world. Paul is concerned about them as he is with the believers. And so Paul, all Paul's saying is based on created design and then cultural norms. He doesn't want us to communicate misleading sexual signals. I want you to pray with your head covered because I don't want you to have the signal. Who else had their uh, hair flowing long? And It was prostitutes and... Uh, Women in the day. Paul's like, I don't want people to misunderstand who you are. Now, you in your independence can say, I'm going to do whatever I want, but then don't get mad when people misunderstand what you're doing because there are just some culturally accepted things. The third argument that he uses is church assemblies. It's redundant because they both mean the same thing, but this is what Paul's limiting this to. He is limiting how Corinthians are are dressed for prayer and worship. Again, not all women and not all men. He's not addressing public attire. For Paul, the that stake was whether they came in, and since their activities were in the name of Christ, he didn't want anybody to have the misunderstanding that you were actually there worshiping Christ. That your allegiance is to him. That your allegiance is to the Lord who has saved you. And so for Christian women at Corinth to go with their head uncovered, was to act a part of a shamed woman, whether she was or not. And Paul says, ladies, I don't want you to to go in and send a misleading signal. I want you to go in with the dignity and respect that you have. Judith Gundry Wolf says this, Paul's chief concern was to correct a practice in Corinthian worship that incurred serious social shame, not only on certain male and female individuals, but on the church as a whole. This shame-producing activity involved boundary, transgressing hairstyles that blurred gender distinctions they were not remembering their createdness they were bucking cultural norms that also communicated that distinctiveness, and then when they came into the assembly, the message was, I'm, I'm really no different than the world, and so what Paul was saying was, I want you to avoid pagan messages. The Romans worshiped their gods. They humbled themselves by concealing their heads or pulling their toga up over their ears, but Paul says, Man, I don't want you to do, I don't want you to send a wrong signal, and ladies, I don't want you to send a wrong signal as well, and so women praying with the head uncovered, they were, what, participating in the assembly. And All Paul's saying is, I want you to maintain appropriate honor to God. Paul's argument is not about family relations, again, but about praying and prophesying. Again, it's in the context of coming together. Remember, Paul's not trying to cause offense to anyone. And so these things may seem odd it may seem strange to us because you're like what's the big deal with hair what's the what's the big deal with a head covering do you know why um so paul says in this in this created order there's some cultural norms and all it meant was that that men had shorter hair why do you think paul didn't had made a distinction between men and women with hair length i'll tell you why it's called old age and baldness Paul's just honoring the created order when he says, guys, you're probably going to lose your hair. And it wouldn't be fair to ask you to cover your heads because you're not going to have something to cover it with eventually. But ladies, you probably will. Again, there are spectrums, I get all that. But again, all Paul's doing is he's honoring this createdness that we in, in public assembly, and when people know that we're believers, that we act differently. We avoid uh, miscommunicating who we're there to worship or who we are there to worship. And so what the Corinthians did with their heads... That physical head mattered because it had implications for what? For the church. And so Paul says the very first thing is this, is to honor God with your, with your body. Now listen, churches get in all kinds of trouble when they start dictating what different people can wear. And maybe you've been in a church, you know, women are not allowed to wear jewelry or they can only wear dresses. Listen, what Paul says is, I want you to judge. And what, what he's saying is, look, we can figure it out. We just know. We live in cultures. Maybe it's this culture, or maybe it's a culture halfway around the world. But wherever you are, there are some distinctiveness uh, between men and women. And Paul's like, you're all smart enough to figure it out. You just are. And so he doesn't give us a list. And when we step in and try to give a list, and we say uh, that, that women uh, can only wear dresses and not wear pants, we are, we are going beyond what is written. It's not what Paul's saying. Paul saying, what are you communicating with who you are in your createdness in the place where you found, where you find yourself? And it's different for different cultures. The second thing, principle, we can learn is this. We need to respect the differences between the sexes. We, we can't blur the distinctions. We have no practices in our modern world like head coverings. There just isn't in our culture. In some cultures, there is but not in our western culture. And it's nothing inherently moral or immoral about head coverings, whether they're veils, shawls, or hats. There's nothing immoral or moral today about short hair or long hair. But all Paul's saying is, listen, in 2020, you folks that are living in Maryland, you know what the culture, you know. You just look around and we we just know. We don't have to, you don't have to Tell a kid. I mean we just know. And so all Paul's saying is I want you to respect the differences that there is male and there is female. I don't want you to blur the distinctions. What did he say in Romans chapter twelve? It's your true and proper worship. When I worship God with who I am. I'm either worshiping with my true self or my false self. But Paul says I want you to be, I want you to worship with your true self. And so Christianity recognizes that God created men and women. Again, he created them what? In his image, but they are they are different. It's proper, Paul's saying, to maintain your createdness when you are worshiping. So if I am created as male and I go before my creator, how do I honor my creator? Because I send the message not only to my culture, but to my creator. I understand who I am as a creation male. If I am female, when I go before my creator, all I'm doing is I'm acknowledging that I am female. I, to celebrate that and to say, God, you have created me with honor and dignity. And when I come before my creator, I am saying, Lord, this, I am your creation. And I want to honor you by recognizing that what you have created is good and it's honorable. And yes, it's different between man and woman. But because we are prone to backlash because of abuses in one way or the other, all Paul's saying is this. Respect the differences between the sexes. And when I say respect, I mean respect in a couple of ways. One is we respect, right? We, we we value the differences and we honor those differences. But one is to what? Is to respect. You're a woman and I'm a man and you are created how you are and I'm created how you, I am. I'm not going to try to subjugate you and I'm not going to try to push you down, but we're going to celebrate how God has created us as men and women. And how do we know that I recognize that I'm a woman or that I'm a man? Well, because there's some cultural things. Listen, we don't live in a culture. Have you seen some of these dystopian movies? Like there's there's an apocalyptic event. The world has ended. And somehow everybody always ends up wearing the same drab gray clothes. Like men and women. They're all in these gray, drab robes. Like what happened? What happens after the apocalypse? That there's no more color? There's no more, right? And so we don't live in that world where everybody just wears a gray, drab uniform. We live in a world where we create, and things are good, and things are beautiful, and we honor God's createdness. And so Paul is saying, listen, church, we have to respect the differences between the sexes. We acknowledge that God knew what he was doing when he said male and female. And we, we, we acknowledge that what God did was he created something beautiful when he created male and and female. And so this whole thing of uh, Corinthians 11, the first part of that is when you approach your creator, I want you to approach him to acknowledge how he has created you. Because if I don't acknowledge how I'm created and I go before my creator and I say, Lord, I know you created me as this, but I'm really this. What does that say about God? He made a mistake or he did something wrong or I'm I'm not valuing that creation. And so I go before my creator. If I'm going to worship in spirit and in truth, I go before my creator how I am created. I don't have to be somebody else. Who I am as created male and female. The third principle is this, that we can glean from this today is this, is that our Christian liberty is limited by love. This is the whole point of Paul's teaching from... 1 Corinthians 8, right up to where we are today. Christian freedom is governed by self-sacrificial, loving concern for other people. And we have so lost that in our world today. Last week, we talked about the idol of self. We deify ourselves. And we, we, all, all we are worried about is what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And it's not, could I do it, but should I do it? And Paul is saying, if there's a question, you probably shouldn't do it. Because you're communicating something by your dress. You're communicating something by how you come into the assembly. And what Paul is saying is, it's not that you can do it, but should you do it, because it's a deliberate self-discipline for non-offense to the Christian's message to the culture. And so if I am a Christian in Paul's day, and I go into the church, and I act like I am at a pagan temple it's going to confuse the message that's sent to the culture. And if I go into the assembly and I worship a God, but I'm not worshiping him, how he has created me, I am sending a message that I'm not honoring God's creation. And so our liberty is limited by love. Because of their newfound freedom in Christ, the women in the Corinthian church were praying and prophesying. They were able to participate. We totally missed that point of 1 Corinthians 11. These women were able to participate in the life of the church. That was unheard of in Judaism. And so what Paul is saying, that there's a, there's a participation. There's different functions and there's different roles, but there's participation. But it doesn't mean we're all the same. We're created differently And we operate according to our, what, our divine design. We worship in the design that God has given to us. Men and women were coming to the assembly with their heads improperly attired for that culture. And they were sending confusing signals. They bumped up against this culture of honor and shame. You say, well, I'm not sure I like that. I'm not sure. Listen, the Corinthians thought that as well. So at the very end, Paul says in verse 16, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. You see, if I want to defy and say I can do whatever I want and be however I want, you can. You, you, liter- you literally can. We have the freedom to do that. But Paul's saying this, and if you want to be contentious and you, you want to always push back against a, a culture, and we hear that all the time. Well, well, it's just a cultural norm. It's just a cultural norm. It's, it's defined by culture. It's defined by culture. It's defined by culture. Now, gender is even defined by culture, right? It's not, a, it's not an inherent thing in our createdness. It's just what culture says it is. And Paul says, if you want to be contentious about that, you can. I don't have any other practice. I don't know any other way. And the church doesn't have any other way either. There there is no other other there. It's it's male and female and how you honor God in your maleness and your femaleness. It's there. And so what Paul says is his apostolic authority is unquestionable. In other words, God has given us this. I have the choice to go against it. We all have choice to do that. But our example is Jesus. Our example isn't culture. Our example isn't what everybody else is doing. Our example is always Jesus. And what does Christ do? Christ limits his freedom for the sake of God's purposes. Look on your notes in Philippians. We looked at this verse before. But Christ, who being a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus himself what emptied himself of the divine privileges to be a human being, to Live among us, listen, I know as I said, Paul has gotten a bad rap, and the church has not done anything to help this, but Paul is not directing his points just to women he's equally he 's an equal opportunity offender he 's doing both men and women. in fact, he, he addresses men fourteen times and women sixteen times in this little passage. It is very balanced, and what he 's saying is both men and women are expected to do something for Jesus. It doesn't just fall on one or the other. Both are expected to sacrifice and to serve and to, and to give up the, the things that I, I, I want to do for the, a greater good, the good of the kingdom. And Paul is, is saying it's, it's up to everyone. But it's God who does it. We have this thing throughout the ages where somehow the man was the Holy Spirit for the woman or what to do and where to go and no 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 the gospel has liberated us from that there are there are differences to be celebrated not subjugated there are differences to be that have dignity and worth in their own right and so paul paul is saying when you approach your creator When you approach your creator, he is the true God. You are not God. I don't want you to, I don't want you to redefine my creation. I don't want you to redefine who you are. I want you to, I want you I want you to celebrate who you are as I created you. You know what the psalmist says? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made and God knows that about us. And because we are created, he says I want you to, I want your image to be that of Jesus. When you when you come together and and worship, I want you to honor one another. I want you to respect the differences of one another. I'm not talking sin. I'm not created differences. I want you to Acknowledge those and respect those, because that's how God has created you. And when you worship, when you worship, I want you to worship in a way that the message is unambiguous. That you are worshiping the true God of the universe, and you understand that you that you are created. That you're not the God, that he's the God. So how do I do that? And all Paul said was, here's some ways that they did it in Corinth is that they respected the differences between men and women and how we came in because of what the cultural message was. And we do the same today. It's not about hair lengths, and it's not about head coverings, and it's not about pants or dresses or any of that. It's when I come before the God of the universe, am I worshiping him in spirit, and truth Is it my true and proper worship? Am I acknowledging that I am his creation? That I am his fearfully and wonderfully made creature? And I can approach God in ways that we all understand, honor that. We honor God when we do that. Even though I say... I don't have to do that. But I want to. I want to because I want to acknowledge God as the creator. I want to acknowledge that I came from him. Paul says this. Men don't get a superiority complex. Adam was created and then Eve was created. But where did Cain and Abel come from? Eve. Paul says there's this mutuality here that's what he says he says even though man was first women was second where do you think the rest of the men are going to come from women you don't have any right to be arrogant or haughty or superior in any way listen you all are here because of a woman you are unless you were hatched in an egg out in the woods somewhere you are here because of a woman and that's what paul's saying that in this great creation that God has created, we are interdependent on one another. That's the Christian community that he has pulled us into or made us a part of as we, as we come to Jesus. Is that, yes, we are interdependent. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Humble yourself because that's what Jesus did for us. Love is always for the purpose of the other person. Always. I don't know if that clears up about head coverings or hair lengths or not. (laughs) But all Paul is saying is honor God with who you are. With who you are. You don't have to wish you were somebody else. You don't have to want to be somebody else. But God has created you and he knit you together in your mother's womb. And here you are today, this wonderful creation. And, all, and Paul is saying is that when I worship and I go before the God who made me, I want to go in a way that says, thank you, Lord, for here I am. Here I am with all that I am. Here I am with all my imperfections. Here I am with all the stuff of my life. And God says, don't worry, I got that taken care of. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And when you're in him, all of that has been taken care of. And that's the gospel is that all of that is taken care of. And now you can stand before me free with no condemnation and forgiven. And you can rejoice in who you are. And I just want you to worship that way. So, guys, you don't need to wear dresses. <laughs> you don't like to be somebody you come before me and women, you don't have to be men. You be women. Paul said, "We're all needed. We all are. We're all here, and we 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 worship with who we are, and with how He's created us." As we head into our our time of prayer, it's a time just to say, "Lord, here I am, all of me, right? I surrender everything, and Lord, I want to. I want my life to communicate. I want my life to communicate in who I am, and 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 yes." how I dress, I guess, like that you've created me, that I've honored this creation. Especially when we come into an assembly where we, where we pray together and we worship and we are focused on the Lord. God says, I want you to come because I've created you. Would, would the first thing you do this morning is just to thank God for creating you, you. We so want to be somebody else. But you know what? They also want to be somebody else. And if you could become them, you'd want to become somebody else after you became them. God says, "I've created you, but but I want you to surrender all that you are to me. Your createdness, your your gifts, your talents, your all all of that. I want you to surrender to me. It's ultimately about the heart. The things we do on the outside come what? It's the overflow of the heart. And with a heart that's surrendered to the Lord, and a heart that says, Lord, here you have created me. Male. Ladies, you have created me, female. And I'm sorry if that has been used against you in your life. I'm sorry if that is a reason for you to be pushed down and subjugated. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Paul is saying, you are a wonderful creation. And we all need to understand that. We sacrifice what we want for the good of the other person, because that's what Jesus did for us. Would you please stand, and we're going to pray. The time just to give to God all that we are. Father, I know passages like this can be really confusing. And they're difficult and I I don't know if we have it all together yet. But God, the first thing we can do is stop and thank you for how you've created us. Father, this image of God in us, you have created us and and and, and put us together, and here we are. And so, Father, as we worship you, when we worship you in spirit and truth with this createdness. With hearts of gratitude to thank you for who we are as your creation no one better than another no one worse than another we need each other and we love each other and we sacrifice for one another father we thank you for the gospel we thank you for the good news of jesus who frees us from all of that stuff to be who we really are in him so minister to us over these next few minutes as we continue just to surrender to you to let go of the things that hold us back and hinder us from being those wonderful creations that we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.